Let's take our Bibles to Revelation 14. We've been slogging through the the book of Revelation, and uh, we have been looking at two, uh, we've gone through twice. Um, We've had the figure of the seals. We've had next the figure of the trumpets. And uh, the third time we've been going through the different personages, specifically the beast and the false prophet most recently. Um, But what we're going to do in chapter 14 is a little bit of a break. It is a parenthetical. In other words, it is not um, necessarily a chronological sequence. Much of the book of Revelation is not a chronological sequence. But if you've read um, uh, novels, you've seen this, or many, many historical uh, biographies are, are written this way as well, where you'll have uh, multiple different characters being reported on, and you'll come back to them, and come back to them, and come back to them. And uh, a lot of movies are, are directed that way, uh, because the idea is to somehow show that there's more than one thing going on at a time. The book of Revelation does that a lot. Uh, but if you feel lost, I've probably said this a hundred times while we've been going through the book of Revelation, do not fear, you are not alone. I, I have so many books on Revelation, and I have, I have a really good book on Revelation Amen. called the Bible, and, uh, but there are so many different ideas that people have, even if they're all in the same room, uh, based on a dispensational viewpoint, there's still a lot of different things. When do the seals actually, uh, are they unsealed? When are the trumpets? When are the vials? And, uh, what we know for certain is that there is going to be a time where God's people, the church are taken out and the wrath of God is going to be poured out on this earth. We know that 100% for sure. Um, there are, there are so-called Christians who really want the book of Revelation to be in the past. And because it just has a way of bringing up bad things that they have been involved in throughout the years and the judgment of God that is yet to come on them. So we know this. This is in the future. There is going to be a time when God takes his people out. It's called the rapture of the church. After that, God is going to allow uh, Israel to make a covenant with the false prophet and the beast. And there's going to come a time where they, they will think they're doing well. They will think that they're getting something to encourage and, and to strengthen our economy. And it will go well for a while. But then the, the false, the, the beast will demand worship and he will begin to persecute the Jews who do not worship him. And I don't know if you've ever had this thought. What's the big deal about the Jews? Why are we always talking about the Jews? Why are we, people always hating them? Why are they always fighting? Nobody is concerned about the people in Zimbabwe for any more than about 15 minutes. I don't know what it is. No, no one cares about the, the people in uh, Australia. No one's talking about them. Or the, the, the people that live in Siberia. Why? It's, we're talking millennia of conversation and hatred and support. I mean, you see it. There's hardly any anyone that says the Jews, yeah, yeah, I get, yeah, oh, sure. Everybody either loves them or hates them. And the reason is because they are God's chosen people. 
Now, as you go through, you find out that God's chosen people don't always act very good. And there are Jews who lie and say they are Jews and are not. And God is going to send some body snatchers eventually, who haven't gotten there yet in Revelation, to separate the wheat and the tares. And uh, that is going to come. But suffice it to say, God is in charge. He knows exactly what's going on. And we are studying the book of Revelation because we do not want to fear that book. We want to recognize that anything that's, that, that is fearful about the Bible is, has to be connected with God himself because God is above all things. You say, I don't want to be afraid of God. Well, he said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, it's better for us to recognize that God is more to be feared than the people who actually spark fear in our hearts. And if you like a big, fuzzy, you know, lotso-hugging God, you're not going to be able to really get into the Bible. You're not really going to be able to survive much reading the Bible. Why? It's not because God is mean and nasty, but there's a part of God that you could easily mistake for mean and nasty. And you say, I don't like, I don't like that. Well... You're not going to like Revelation 14, I can tell you that. I'm not saying God's mean and nasty. I'm saying anyone that you think you've seen rage, God is the one who is going to take the... He, he already took the most rage out on his own son because he, he became sin for us. And there's coming a day when he's going to take out his wrath and his rage on this earth. It's going to be a cup without mixture. He's not going to dilute it at all. And, and, you, and here's the thing. The reason why we don't like that is because we know in our hearts that, that, that our old nature, our sin, is worthy of judgment. And I'm hoping that maybe God will kind of look the other way. And I'm just saying, well, I mean, don't hurt him. What I'm really saying is don't hurt me. Because there's something in me that knows I, I'm worthy of judgment. I'm happy to tell you that, that God poured out his wrath on his son. And he said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Uh, I'm so thankful for that. And so as we get into this, hang with us. But we, we are going to have a little bit of a reprieve. As we, saw, as we saw in Revelation 14, 1 to 3, you can see that there is... Um, there's a group, 144,000, uh, actually down to, to verse number five. And we talked about them at, at length last week. But I would, I would remind you here that the 144,000 in their new song, um, they show up here at, the, at this midpoint. This is kind of in the middle of the tribulation period. But there's a possibility that this could even be... Um, uh, a prophecy looking forward because chapter 14 contains several things that do not happen at the midpoint of the tribulation. For instance, Armageddon. It's happening way at the end. So there's a possibility there. But the context is definitely the last three and a half years. It's talking about things that start somewhere in the middle and move forward. And there are, there are seven separate visions, a series of them here in chapter 14, but they're not intended to give us a chronological sequence of events. I want to emphasize that to you. So here we go. 
it starts in, in chapter 14, verses 1 to 5, the 144,000. Then you have the first angel, verses 6 to 7, with the everlasting gospel. You have the second angel uh, with the fall of Babylon in verse 8. You have the third angel speaking about the image and the mark and the judgment on, on those who take the image, worship the image and take the mark, verses 9 to 11. The patience of the saints is, is highlighted in chapter uh, in verses 12 to 13. Then you have the Son of Man and the harvest, the sickle, verses 14 and 16. And then you have the angel that also reaps, that's Armageddon, verses 17 to 20. We're going to try to get through verses 1 to 12 tonight. So let's look at verse number 6. Here it is, the first angel with the everlasting gospel. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of waters. First of all, his ministry. His ministry. He is, in other words, why is he even ministering? Well, we know that angels were involved in the giving of the law. The Bible says in Galatians 3 that the law was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So there were the, the angels were connected in some way with the giving of the law. But in the church age, they are not allowed to preach the gospel because they do not know what it's about. They have no connection with the gospel. The gospel of the grace of God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, it tells us in verse number 10, of which salvation... Speaking of the salvation of the grace of God, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. The angels are interested in reading that in the Old Testament, those prophecies. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. So the Angels are not allowed to preach this gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, something important. And while you're turning there, remember in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius, that, that uh, centurion, the Roman centurion, when he wanted to know how to be saved, what, what did the angel do? Remember the angel came and was speaking to him? The angel sent for Peter. The angel sent Peter to tell him how to be saved. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse number 8. Galatians 1. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And so no other gospel is allowed to be preached during this time frame and during this church age. He said, if any angel preach any other gospel unto you, now keep that in mind. 
So you can know that only a fallen angel would attempt to preach the gospel in the church age. And by the way, there's not a lot of emphasis in the New Testament for the church on angels. We know that they're real. We know that they, they exist. But God does not put a lot of emphasis. And this is not a study on angelology. But if you're caught up in that and thinking about you know, the, the uh, other world and, and uh, you know, mama's teaching angels how to sing and, you know, you're always talking about angels. Be careful with that. You know what God uses to communicate to us? The Bible. He uses the Bible. And the Word of God and the sword of the Spirit, which is in, which is the Word of God. Notice the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify What is that? The Spirit of Christ was the Word of God coming out of those prophets. You've got the Bible. Now, here's the thing. The Bible sometimes ain't fun to read because it's it's hard. You say, I want a a Bible that I can understand. Good luck. Good luck. Because if they dumb it down enough to where I can understand without study, that's not a Bible that I want. Man, you know what? If I'm going to talk to the president... And, I, and I'm going to go to talk, to, let's say I'm going to talk to the most important person in America. Now, whether, whether, whatever you think about our current president, if I go to the president and, and I sit down there and he wants to act like he's in junior high and he's like, hey, dude, what's up? I would be really disappointed. Why? I expect him to communicate at a higher level. And did you know that the King James Bible, by the way, the language that it, it was translated in was not the way people spoke on the street in those days. E- even educated people didn't speak that way one to another. How do I know that? Just read the epistle dedicatory and see how they, how they talked. You know the reason why the these and thous and, and ye are in the Bible? Their, their desire was to present the word of God, not just the word of some really spiritual people. So it's important for, as we go and we study the Bible, we've got to keep in mind, God is going to challenge us. It's going to take some effort. He said, it's going to, you're going to have to be a workman. You're going to have to study. Well, I don't want to study. I just want chicken soup for the soul. Well, listen, there's, there's time for spoon-feeding chicken soup to the soul when you're sick. Yes. But if you're always eating chicken soup for the soul... Would that mean that you're always sick? I'm just saying you gotta you gotta get stronger. You gotta strengthen. You know why? Because what the world tells you, you deserve a break today. You need to sit back and chill, and the whole world needs to revolve around you. By the way, it never does. I don't know how many times I tell people that. It never does. And number two, what does that make the world for everybody else? A miserable place with me at the center. Imagine me at the center of someone's life. What a, what a horrible existence that would be. But the devil tells you. He tells you a lie. That husband can have whatever he wants. The, the whole house surrounds him. The wife can have whatever she wants. And the whole world revolves around her. And the kids, we already know they get whatever they want. And then the dog, the world revolves around the dog. You know what that is? That's chaos. You can't have a bunch of different hubs of the home. How about this? Jesus Christ is the head the head of the church. He's the head of the home. He ought to be the head of wherever you work. I think it works pretty well. 
But he said, be careful of any angels. Be careful of any angels, all right? Why? Because they will lie to you. <laughs> all right, so, but, but when you get past this church age, you're going to go into the tribulation, and apparently the angels are once again involved in preaching. Once again involved in preaching. Now, let's look at his gospel, letter B, his gospel. The word gospel means what? Good news. Isaiah 61 puts it this way. Good tidings. Glad tidings. Good news comes in different forms. And this is important to remember. And I'm going to show you here that there are three different gospels that are used in the Bible in the New Testament. The word gospel is not found in the Old Testament. But it is found in the New, and there are three different ones. And you've got to keep this in mind. If you think gospel, the reason why you and I automatically think death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is because that is the gospel for us. The gospel for us in the church age is 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the problem is, if you don't make a distinction, you will end up uh, getting hit with a landmine as you're going through the Bible. There are too many things that can go wrong. You've got to be careful. So good news comes in different forms to different people. Um, Noah's gospel, he had good news. What was his good news? You're not going to die in the flood. That was good news. I'm going to let you build an ark. Uh, Let's think about Moses, Moses' gospel. Moses was never told, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, we understand that there are lots of types of Christ. Moses himself was a type of the crucifixion when he smote the rock. And and certainly, uh, he was judged for that. And yet God showed mercy on him and so forth. And, and, and you can see how they were all baptized unto Moses. They came, uh, the, the Passover lamb died, and they put the blood on the, on the doorposts, and they came out. They were, they were redeemed, or they were ransomed. They were saved by the blood of the lamb. And then they came out, and they were baptized unto Moses in the, in, in the Red Sea. There's all kinds of examples, but... But that's easier for us now that we have the entire Bible to look back through. You can look back through and see so many of them. But I can tell you, they didn't understand the same thing. In fact, when you go to the Old Testament, you will not find the phrase, born again. It just, it wasn't there. The Holy Spirit could come and leave. David prayed, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But Paul never prayed that. Paul said, you're sealed till the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. So there are distinctions that are made. Same God dealing in different ways with different people. So what about the good news to Abraham? Well, man, this is, this, the Bible says that the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the heathen by faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham. That's what it says. Yeah, but the gospel. Did, did, did God ever tell Abraham, believe on my son who, ha- who is going to die, who died for you, who will die for you, and will come back from the dead, and I will give you eternal life. 
Now, in type, it's all over the place. Abraham, Isaac, it's everywhere. You can see it. He believed that God was going to raise his son from the dead. But, you, but be careful that you don't just read back into it and say, now listen, I realize this is not, this is not popular teaching. This is not something that a lot of people you know, have heard or agree with. But, but, but the, here's, the, here's the reason why I'm doing it. Not to curry favor with anyone or any, any class or any group. What I found is this. If it's in the Bible, nobody came up with it. No, no student or scholar, no great guru or school developed it. If it's in the Bible, it's in the Bible. Now, if it's not in the Bible, it also holds true. It doesn't matter how many great people, gurus, how many guys write books. If it's not in the Bible, it ain't in the Bible. And here's the thing I love about the Bible. It belongs to no one but God. It does not belong to the Baptists. It does not belong to the Presbyterians. It doesn't belong to you name the group. You, you know, there is no such thing as a, an unbroken line of men and women who have steadfastly believed every word and have been perfect in their interpretation of the Bible all the way back to the church. In the early church, they didn't even have it all together. You know, this whole thing has been held together by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. That's the only reason why we're here tonight. We ain't got nothing special to offer you here. Now, we will do our best to hold to every word of the Bible. We'll work hard to interpret it. And we can, we can learn. The Holy Ghost can teach us when we compare spiritual things with spiritual. But you, you didn't show up at finally found the best church in town. You know, people worry about that. Why would there be any more than one church for you in town? I mean, like if you married the ugliest woman in the world, you married, if she's the only woman in the world, you also married the best looking woman in the world. Right? I don't know that this is the best church in town. I don't think you need to be thinking about what's the best church. You need to find a church that preaches the word of God. You need to humble yourself and submit yourself to that body of believers and get locked in and hang on for a bumpy ride as we go to heaven together. It's not going to be easy all the time, but I can promise you it's right. You need to do it. You need to lock in. We got visitors here tonight. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the people that are already here. <laughs> need to lock in, amen? We're having fun tonight, aren't we? I feel like I am. I don't know if you, if you would just let me be the center of your existence, I think we'd get along a lot better. Okay, so where were we? Okay, so Abraham's gospel. You know what Abraham's gospel was? God is going to give you a son that will bless the entire world. That's what it was. Now, we can read back into it and say that Abraham believed and so forth. And I, I'm not saying, but what did Abraham believe? Abraham believed that God was going to give him a son. In fact, that's what he's talking about in Romans chapter 4. He's believing that God is going to give him a son. So what are the, what are the, what's the common denominator? What, are the, what, what can we bring from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Here it is. All good news comes from a good God who gives grace to undeserving sinners. That works in any time frame of any place, anywhere in the universe. All good news comes from a good God who gives grace to undeserving sinners. Now, he gives his grace in different ways and manners. 
And we, we won't take the time because this is not really the, the, the focus here. But I did want to point this out to you because we need to be able to make distinctions. If you can't make a distinction between salt and pepper, then why do you have both on the table? You have to be able to tell the difference. So when you're reading your Bible, if everything's the same, then you, it's okay as long as you actually think about what you're reading. If you're just looking for a good feeling, just listen to Christian radio. Right? And, and that's all you need. It's just Jesus, 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 Jesus. Just say the words, magic words, Jesus. Oh, okay. That, that's not what the early church did. That, that's not what Christians have done. It's not about feeling, which by the way, Christians did not always listen to Christian music as their drug of choice. They sang together, but before recorded music, what did we do? I guess people were miserable from Sunday to Sunday. They couldn't get their Jesus vibe on because they didn't have their coffee in Jesus, right? <laughs> Forgive me. My wife and I went over to Amish country. I'm a little bitter about all the science about coffee and Jesus. <laughs> My soul. Equating, equating that, you know, I love coffee. Don't get me wrong, but it's nothing like Jesus. Man, alive. Man. Okay, we got to move on. We got to move on. Okay, here's the angel's message. What is it? Fear God and give him glory. I want you to think about 1 Corinthians 15. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel of the grace of God. I want you to think about this as I read this gospel. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now, is it just me, or is that exactly, that's not exactly the same as the gospel that I believed when I got saved? Same God, same, same gracious God who is giving some good news to wicked people, yes, but Jesus' name is not mentioned. I thought there was none other name under heaven. That's where this angel's flying. Give it among men, whereby we must be saved. So what does that mean? You don't have to lose your salvation because you're so mad, what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if God wrote it in the Bible, it's okay. You're not going to get in trouble. There's a distinction here. Can you see the distinction? He said, fear God and give him glory. Now you can, you, you, if you... Okay, well, what are you going to do? Well, gospel, gospel, gospel. It has to mean something then, the gospel that I believe, that you believe when you got saved. So you have to go back to what does the word gospel mean? It means good news, right? So it's not exactly the same, but, but hang with me here. What's the audience? Notice the audience is Gentiles all over the world, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about three different Gospels to help clear this up. Uh, take your Bible, if you would, to Matthew 4, Matthew 4, and look at verse 23. Matthew 4, he says here, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And notice, all the people who had uh, sick people, uh, who were possessed with devils, lunatic, palsy, all the, they come to him and he heals them. Now take your Bibles go to Mark 16. Just back a little bit to uh, chapter 16. Mark 16. 
hope that this is in your Bible. Unfortunately, a lot of people have taken it out of the Bible, the last portion. Um, and and, and uh, look at, I'm sorry, that was Mark chapter 9 is what I'm thinking of. Mark chapter 9, verse 16. But here in chapter 16, notice, he says, towards the end, of, it says in verse 15, He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel. When, well, what is it? What is, well, that's what we do, right? Well, it's true, but, but, but the problem is the gospel of the kingdom also brought with it the ability to make people's physical lives better. Heal their sickness, to cast out their devils, which of course, salvation by Jesus Christ would take care of that. But the physical part of it is a distinction. Look what he says in verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Notice there's some baptism connected with it. And I understand, he says, he that believeth not, it doesn't say he that believeth not and is not baptized. I understand that. But there is baptism connected with it. But notice verse number 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. This is, this is connected with the gospel that he told them to preach. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And notice this is not a multiple choice. These are all things that would be included. So if you do not believe that those things had to happen when you get saved, and it's the same gospel, then you must believe that they are yet to happen in your life. In other words... This is the same gospel that we preach, and it's all connected. And maybe I've never taken up a deadly snake yet. Maybe I haven't drunk any poison yet, but I'm going to get to it as soon as I can because it's part of the gospel. Now, I haven't been able to heal anybody yet, but I know I should be healing people. And I haven't learned, I haven't, I haven't spoken any new tongues, but uh, I think I need to, and I'm going to cast out devils. It's interesting what happens is people pick and choose. Now, I, I haven't, I'm sure there are, I haven't seen anyone, the, the, the poison church. I know that there's snake handling church down in Kentucky. If you ever want to watch, you know, a very depressing documentary, watch something about the snake handling churches in Kentucky. Why? They believe that this verse is connected with the gospel of this dispensation. They believe that if they truly believe Jesus, truly he will protect them. They will bring rattlesnakes into their service as part of their service. They will take them out of the cages and they will hold them and they will pray and they will sing and they will get bitten over and over and over again. And, and many of them recover. And they say it's, a, it's an example. Many of them, though, do not recover. Why? Here's why. This is the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Can you recover from a snake bite? Absolutely. Can you recover from drinking poison? Absolutely. Can someone have a, de- a devil cast out of them? Yes. Can someone recover from sickness? Yes. But God does not make that a part of our commission. Go into all the world and you can, and, and you can see it where God can allow those things. God, I mean, for instance, Paul the Apostle 
was bitten by a viper. There in the last chapter of Acts, second to last or the last chapter, where he was, this, the viper came out, grabbed hold, and they said, he's going to die for sure. And what happened? He didn't die. Why not? Well, here's something to keep in mind. Here's the word to write down. Apostolic. These are apostolic signs given to apostles. Paul was an apostle. And so he had these, and they were given during those ministries. There's no such thing in the Bible as apostolic succession. It's just not there. There are no apostles today in that same sense. And we think apostles, you know, what we're saying is guys who talk loud and are very charismatic. That's what they mean today. But they ain't messing with snakes. They're not drinking poison. And they certainly are not visiting hospitals, raising people up. And so because of that, it is a different, we can see, it's a different gospel. After the ministry of the apostles is over, the signs and wonders of the apostles are gone. They're told to preach the gospel. By the way, they're told to preach the gospel to every creature here. But what do they do? They quit. They stopped in Jerusalem. They would not continue to go. They became apostles only to the circumcision, not to the Gentiles. And so in Acts chapter 8, they had this persecution that arose and God started sending them out. But guess what? The apostles stayed put in Jerusalem. Why? I ain't leaving. I mean, I love Jesus and all. And I know what he told me to do, but I got other things I got to do. I got a nice house. I got stuff. I got people here. And they did. I mean, they're just like us, right? And so there were a few people that got up and, and, uh, and took off. And I'm thankful that they did because here we are. Now, Mark chapter 16 tells us about this, this, this gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And they would go all over and do this. And this is something that will come back. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven given to Israel. And it's the earthly gospel. It's connected with the ground. It's connected with the land of Israel. Now, number two, this is where you and I get in. The gospel of the grace of God given to the unsaved sinner. Now, I want to say this. There are, we don't have the time to go into the connection between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. But let's just say the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are very well connected. Why? The kingdom of heaven comes from God. So there's a lot of connections. And what, you'll, what we do is we say, well, one word means the other word, and so therefore it's the same. Well, be careful because God is not heaven, right? You've heard that classic line, God is not heaven, heaven is not God. God is in heaven, but heaven is created by God. God is not created by heaven. So there is a distinction, but be careful that you don't try to make it too big of a distinction because then you'll miss some of the things uh, we don't have time to go into, but there is... Uh, uh, there are distinctions, but there are many similarities as well. Okay, now, the second one we're on is the, the gospel of the grace of God given to unsaved sinner. That's the good news that God will save any sinner who will, by faith, put their trust in his grace, in his son's death, burial, and resurrection, and he will save them. They have to trust that as their ticket to heaven. That's what they have to trust. And you know what God does? God allows, he allows a lot of freeloaders on his train, like me. And he will take you to heaven. He said, he that hath the Son hath life. You trust in Jesus Christ for your eternal soul, uh, for your eternal salvation, you are going to heaven. Whether you live like it, 
whether you look like it, whether anybody else thinks, God alone knows whether you have trusted Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation. You're saved. You don't have to live like it if you don't want to. But I would ask you this. You're right on his train. And you're going to end up looking like Jesus when you get to heaven. What do you think? Go ahead and start doing what he wants you to do? I think you should. I think you should. And I think if you don't, it kind of shows that you don't really know a lot about Jesus. Because why did you get on the train to begin with if your life was so great? If you had everything you needed, why would you get on board, right? You see, Jesus Christ is more wonderful than anything that you're chasing after right now. But he's hard sometimes to understand and to get. Paul said, I have not apprehended it yet. I'm not there, but I'm pressing toward the mark. You think you're discouraged, depressed? You think you have questions? You think you have a difficult time understanding God? Welcome to the club, Paul says. He said, I, we see through a glass darkly. I don't know Jesus like I want to know him, but I'll tell you one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to turn around and act like I don't know him. I'm going to keep walking through the fog and the difficult circumstances of my life. Through my questions and my doubts and my fears about God that you think you are the only one to ever have, the devil's very good at isolation. Everybody else has their questions and their fears and their doubts. If you don't, you're not thinking. You've got to think a little bit in order to come up with something. If you're just kind of a, <laughs> we in heaven yet? <laughs> Well, no wonder you don't have any problem with God. You don't know anything about him. You can be saved. Thank God for it. You're on the train, but you just checked out. You're not talking to anybody else on the train. You're not looking out the window. You're not asking for a drink. You're not doing anything. You're just sitting there. And God will let you sit there. Why? Salvation is not based on how good of a person you are or how diligent and consistent you are in your Christian walk. Salvation is the gift of God. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The word of God is what birthed you into, the, into his family. Not your diligence and your striving and your rolling around in the leaves for a hundred days at a time, repenting of every sin you ever did. Because by the way, you forgot some. So you're probably not saved. <coughs> Salvation is not based on how hard you repented. It's based on how willing you were to put your trust in Jesus and what he did. And it's so frustrating because you can't get around the fact that you got nothing to do with it. And the devil will try to tell you, I know, but you know, that thing, that thing you thought about today and you know, that attitude and those words you said, all you got to say to him is you're right, you're right. And you're right. My old nature is wicked as hell. And it's always has been and always will be. God's not taking your old nature to heaven. But I'm telling you, if he said that he would save you, if you trusted in him, it's on him, not on you. So you better just relax. Enjoy the ride. What you're trying to do is you're trying to be Jesus. That's what it is. You know why? Because you're self-righteous. You think somehow you're not as bad as this publican or those people. No, I actually care. I have a conscience. No, I actually work hard at trying to be a good Christian. Okay, then I guess you're going to be making your own ladder, your own train, your own train tracks. I don't know what you're doing. 
Jesus Christ wants to save you. You can trust him and him alone. And that's what the gospel, the grace of God is all about. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul talks about that. He says, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And again, distinguishing characteristics. Nobody in the Old Testament was born again and had eternal life, which promised them to be a part of the body of Christ. They were not born into the body of Christ. And and you say, what do they have? What do they have? They had a good God who cared about them and loved them and gave them his word and reminded them that they need to turn, need to do what's right. He gave them the sacrificial system. And yes, we understand all those things pointed to Christ. But why didn't God just say, listen, all those things are pointing to Christ in 2,000 years, so you guys can just chill. Right? Right? I mean, he, he, he told them, this is what I want you to do. You know what we always want to do? We're like siblings. It's like the Old Testament Jews are our siblings. And we want to know, what, what did God ask you to do? I know what God told me to do, but he asked, what did he ask you to do? Did you, what do you guys, you guys do, what are you guys doing? Hey, God, did you see what they're doing in the Old Testament? Let God deal with them. They're his children. Do what you're supposed to do. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel, the grace of God, and then thirdly, we have uh, the everlasting gospel, which is what we read here. Now, again, the message to the Gentiles is fear God and give him glory. You don't ever see the Apostle Paul standing and saying this message, or even Peter for that, for that matter. You know what he said? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And, and, and we understand that in the, in the tribulation period, they, there is, for the Jews, there is an element of that, that they are trusting in Christ for their Messiah. But, but let me ask you this, what if, what if they decide to worship the beast? Can you, can you decide what to believe and what not to believe? In, in, the, in that time frame... They can decide what to believe and not to believe. And the sealing of God is only on the 144,000. What does that mean? That they're not sealed like you and I are by the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I know how this makes people feel. I know because I understand. It looks like you're talking about different God. No, I'm just saying, if it says something different in the Bible, then we've got to figure out, is he, is he kidding? No, no. Maybe it's just different. Same God who's dealing differently. I'm not the, I was never a believer myself, and I have five kids, and if I give this to this kid, I have to give it the same. I don't believe that. Why? Number one, I want to show you attention right now. I'm not worried about all the rest of them. I think it's foolish to think that somehow you can be completely fair with all your kids. Your kids are not exactly the same. So why do you need to give them all exactly the same thing? They're not robots, they're people. So sometimes I'll, I'll give something to one kid. And guess what? The other kids know they've gotten it other times too. Right? That's how God treats his kids. He says, this is what I'm giving you. Well, I don't like what you're making, Lord. Well, why'd you give her that? Listen, I make what I make. Right? I give what I give. And that's what God does. And you're not going to scratch underneath and find out that he's this nefarious, small-minded, sniveling God. No, he is a gracious God. And he's doing just what is needed at the time. 
So here's the question, though, but keep this in mind. If what Paul said in Galatians 1.8, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Okay, why didn't Peter preach that gospel? Why, why didn't Paul preach the gospel there in Revelation 14? So we have to, I'm just trying to show you that there's a little difference here. And, uh, we, and we, we, we have to take what God said at his word. All right, now we're going to roll through the end here because we've already hit some of this and we will hit more of this as we go into the future. Look at verse number eight. There followed another angel. So this is the second angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, back to Revelation 14. That great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We won't talk about this now because chapter 17, 18, and 19 uh, are going to be talking in great deal about that. But he is announcing here the fall of Babylon. And then we have number three, the third angel announces judgment on those who worship the beast. So we saw in chapter 13 that they are worshiping the beast and all the world is wondering after the beast. And now we find in verse 9, the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. I told you you weren't going to like it. I don't like it. What does that mean? God sees them tormented with fire and brimstone. That's what it says. Not only that, verse number 11, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, I take no joy in that. I am not interested to spend any more time on that than is necessary, but we need to look at it and and just reckon with the fact that we're dealing with a God who is different than you and I. God is not getting sadistic pleasure out of this. But notice that he's not turning away from it. You can't embarrass God. You can't shame him. Because everything that's being done is just and right. And it's been so long since we've had justice in our country, we can't even imagine it. When we say justice, we mean everybody gets to live happily ever after. The problem with that is the guy who rapes and kills someone who then goes to prison, even if he gets to live happily ever after, what about her? She doesn't get to live happily ever after. Our country's so concerned about protecting victimizers, we forget about the victims. And it's easy to say, because it's not your daughter, it's not my daughter, I can say, well, certainly we don't want to keep him locked up forever. No. You know what the scripture says? He should be put to death. He should be put to death. He said, that's horrible and terrible. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13, he beareth not the sword in vain. You should be afraid of the government official who should have the power to put you to death. You know why we don't have the death penalty in America? Because 
God's people didn't stand up and say, that is, that is unlawful, that is unconscionable, that we would not punish it. And in our culture, we just let it go and let it go and let it go. And, 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 and listen, some of you right now, you're feeling uncomfortable. Because, I mean, God wants to give everyone a chance. I, okay, I'm not, I'm not denying that. I'm saying, look at the verses here. And maybe another side of God that we need to take into consideration. Instead of always just God is love, God is love. Love means nothing if it doesn't have exclusivity. Exclusivity means I don't love everything the same. I love you. That's why we love the person that loves us. It's exclusive. But God can't love the world if he doesn't hate sin. And what do these people represent? They represent those who worshipped and bowed down and took a special mark of the, of the one being who is the actual embodiment of everything God hates. The beast and the false prophet. He goes directly against everything. He is called an antichrist. Anti against Christ. And these people knew that. They bowed down. They worshipped him. They took his mark. And they said... We don't care. In your face, God. You, you ever watch any videos on YouTube of punks who go by demonstrations and you just want to smack them? But you can't. You can't. Why not? I'll tell you why not. Because you get in trouble. But when you're God and you're in charge of everything, you can decide the punishment. And in some ways, you could say, these people decided their own punishment. But at the same time, it doesn't make it any easier to read the passage. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. If that doesn't get us on the ball trying to get people saved, I don't know what else will. People will live forever in heaven or hell. And we don't believe that. In fact, if I were to use the word hell as a cuss word, you would be more offended with that than the fact that people are going to hell. That's the way, that's, that, that's, that's what he said. We've got to have our eyes open. You know what we're concerned about? We're, we're concerned about food and sex and fun, just like everybody on our block. But you and I, as believers, we have the message that can keep people out of that place. We ought to be focused on it. We ought to be thinking about it. We ought to let the Lord stir us up a little bit. Maybe climb down off of our, you know, ecclesiastical high horse and see people sizzling and say, God, may it not be my neighbor. May it not be my coworker. May it not be my father. I don't want them to die and go to hell. I don't think anybody here wants anyone to go to hell. But there are people who will go. It's not comfortable. I, you know what? To be honest with you, sometimes I would rather not be a preacher. I would rather not be a Christian because I don't like this kind of stuff. But you can't have whatever you want with your nice little God if you're not going to take what he actually said about himself in his word. You got to take it all. Hey, listen, I'm talking to all of us here. We're all kind of soft Americans. We've got we to stop and think about reality. Truth. Do you believe this stuff? You can't pick and choose. You've got to accept it as it is, the word of God and truth. And there's some really 
uncomfortable, distasteful things that we see in the Scripture. And we need to look at it. Because what it will do for us is remind us, this thing is a lot bigger than our little worlds that we live in. God has it, and He gives us a privilege of going to heaven, escaping the flame, and helping other people to escape the flame. You say... Well, they don't believe they're going to hell. Let me ask you this. If a person was, had caught, I was at a banquet one time, a lady uh, got up to, to go, to go uh, left her chair, and she bent over, and her hair was covered in hairspray. It was back, you know, in those days, lots of hairspray. And she bent over, and she leaned into the candle on the table, and her hair, <laughs> you know, Aquanet, here we go. Now, if you were to say to her, ma'am, excuse me, I don't want to offend you, but did you know that your hair is on fire? If she were to say, I thank you to keep your opinions to yourself, what would you say next? If it were me, no, I'm serious. Your hair is on fire. I would try a multiple different ways of approach to tell her that her hair was on fire. Why? Because it was actually on fire. Witnessing is the same way. You're trying to get, hey, maybe one way doesn't work. They're still going to hell. They may not think they're going to hell, but they are. So we got to find a different way. If you really thought that they were going to hell, you'd think of a different way to say it. Lastly tonight, the patience of the saints. Look at verse 12. Patience of the saints. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The saints here referring to, as he does multiple times in Revelation, the nation of Israel. The saints. I'm going to close with a a practical thought for us. Where is the patience of the saints? Here. In the middle of the darkest period in human history. Revelation 6 says... They cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? There's a, there, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. as we, This will be our last place tonight. Hebrews 12. This, this is not referring to us. This is referring to those in this great tribulation. But there is a corollary for believers. There's a corollary. And that is, in this time when Jerusalem's trodden underfoot... The little horn is flourishing. The beast has power given to him over all kindreds and nations. During this time when there's this abomination, this idol set up in the temple in Jerusalem, and persecuted saints are flying into the wilderness to be cared for by God. During this time, the saints have to be patient. And look what it says in Hebrews 12.1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight... And the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds." Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And you've forgotten the exhortation, which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint 
when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? I want you to think about what you're going through right now. Whatever it is, no doubt it's been difficult. But I want you to think of it, not just the sun or the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, not just bad luck or misfortune. I want you to think about this. God can use very difficult times where you need to endure as part of his training program. God can actually be teaching you something here, just as Jesus, who learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He said, we need to get rid of the weight, get rid of the sin, and we need to run with patience. You know what patience is talking about? It's talking about suffering. That's why we call them a patient when they go into the hospital. See, waiting is different. Patience is waiting while suffering. It hurts. It's not temporary. You need to, you need to remember, though, that God can take that pain that's, that hurts a lot, and God can use it to shape you and make you the son that he's always wanted. He can use your endurance. So maybe you're not the best speaker. Maybe you're not the best Bible student. Maybe you don't have this unique way with people. But let me ask you this. Do you love Jesus Christ? Are you asking him to work in your heart? Are you submitted to him? Here's something that maybe you have that you can think of. Maybe God can use to bring glory to himself through you. Patience. Endurance. You know what Paul had to do? Paul had to endure. Because he, had, he went through a lot of difficult things. But he would rather be up and about and on the move. He'd rather be shipwrecked. He'd rather be beaten with rods. But you know where he got stuck? He got stuck in prison. And he got stuck in prison. Just like John, the beloved, got stuck in prison while writing this book that we've been reading tonight. And what happens is when we're stuck, we're hurting. If you can endure and not faint in your minds... God is using this time to teach you something. He's, he's teaching you. You say, well, if God really loved me, he'd take it away. Man, I hate to tell you, don't count on that. Paul, Paul said that he, that he asked the Lord three times to take away that thorn. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And what did he say? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, I knew it was the power of God because it really hurt when he put his hand on me. And he said, it was during that time that the power of God came in on my life. So maybe it's a trick of the devil to tell you, you need to run from all this that's hurting you, that you need to get away and you can't make it and you can't endure when all the while it's exactly where God wants you to be. And if you'll trust and rest in that and say, Lord, teach me, I hate this. Please hurry up. Please hurry. Please hurry. But don't stop. Don't stop until you're done, Lord, but hurry. But don't stop. But hurry. Endure. 
Hey, here's the patience of the saints right in the middle of the tribulation. We're going to go to prayer now, and we've gone a little long tonight, so forgive me.